you showed up. But not to the front seats. There's there's heaps of seats down here. Debaters uh, very traditionally do not pick on the audience. So you're very safe if you're lurking up the back. Uh, welcome to Sci-Fight. Who's been to a Sci-Fight before? Make some noise. We don't have to raise hands here. We are not in school. Make some noise if you've been to a Sci-Fight before. Correct. And if you've never been to one before, make some noise. Well, that's an attrition rate of very high. Uh, we are losing people by the minute, so we will start the debate. Um, for those who've not been uh, to a sci-fi before, uh, basically the format is we bring together scientists uh, and comedians and we make them debate very serious issues in a very silly way. So that's the format. Uh, my name is Alanta. Um, I'm so glad that you all came tonight. Newcastle, this is an amazing turnout for a Melbourne-based gig. I really appreciate you taking times out of blockading the pol the coal ports and everything else you've been up to. That made it around Australia. Well done. <laughs> Super impressive. Um, I'm your host and adjudicator tonight. My name's Alanta. And basically, we're here tonight to debate whether or not we should fear AI. Ooh. <laughs> I wouldn't want you to be biased before you'd seen all of the debaters and made an educated decision, but basically in the past year, AI chatbots uh, have told people to off themselves, uh, to leave their spouses for the AI, and told one child to stick nails into a live power socket. Uh, before that, you know, you used to have to travel all the way to 4chan for that level of abuse. Uh, programmers are running behind ChatGPT, uh, trying to build better guardrails to stop AI harming people. But for every bit of foolproofing they do, humans build a better fool. Uh, we can't predict what AI might actually do. Could it build a separate, more powerful AI inside the AI that doesn't have to abide to the rules? Uh, could it create DNA for a, a new species that we would then have to compete with? Uh, you know, what happens when AI realizes that the major obstacle to it achieving all of its goals is us? Or is AI overhyped? Is our fear of AI just a barely concealed fear of our own inadequacy that a jacked up <laughs> two-bit calculator might prove a more sparkling conversationalist than us? Or is the real worry that AI is built on the data that humans made uh, with all of the shortcomings therein? Do we simply fear ourselves? To resolve this digital dilemma, I'm going to introduce you to all of our debaters. Uh, I normally have them on stage with me, but uh, that would have involved stacking them this evening. So I just want you to give them a round of applause for the affirmative. It's Jessica Allen. Rebecca Dyson. And Evan Donahoe! And on the negative, it's the futuristic Karen Livesey, Tim Cox, and Lauren Lawrence. Now, uh, before we get off, I do want to read the rules because we know that we all have more fun with rules. So the rules of the debate tonight, we are not alone. Tonight's debate is being listened to by everyone's smart devices. So just a reminder to both teams not to defame your opponents. We're here for a good time, not a long time. Each debater has eight minutes. 
If people go longer, I will start singing Paranoid Android by Radiohead. And it's very sad. Uh, come the end of the debate, you, our trusty audience, will be called upon to decide who the winning team is, mainly by shouting, because science has proved that the loudest person in the room is always the most correct. So our first speaker tonight is Dr. Jessica Allen. Jess is a senior lecturer in chemical engineering at the University of Newcastle. But don't worry, she's not like a regular engineer. She's a cool engineer. You can tell this <laughs> because it's definitely the kind of thing a cool engineer asks me to say. She specialises in mum jokes and left-wing propaganda, you know, like renewable energy and advancing women in STEM. So woke! Huh? Jess is a confident introvert who would rather be home alone right now, binging both Taskmaster and eating country cheese biscuits. So we're very grateful that she made it to the venue tonight. A big round of applause for Dr. Jessica Allen! Thank you, Atlanta, and thank you for immediately stealing all of my talking points. That's a great, great start. Um, yeah, I am Dr. Jessica Allen. I'm a senior lecturer in engineering. I am an expert in renewable energy and electrolysis. I'm not an expert in AI. So what am I doing here? Why did I agree to this? Um, but seriously, you're here. I'm here. Let's just crack on. Okay. We should fear AI. In fact, I think that we, as in the people in this room right now, Atlanta, clearly, already do fear AI. And the affirmative team has a clear advantage, thank goodness, going into this. Um, many of the movies you could be binging right now show in increasingly accurate detail just why we should be afraid of AI. Let's start with uh, the hypothetical forms of AI, AGI, which stands for Artificial General Intelligence. We love an acronym. Uh, AGI is the type that dominates all the movies, right? Um, it has the human-like intelligence, the ability to self-teach. Um, there's speculation that highly advanced AI could exceed the limits of possible human intelligence, uh, leading to unforeseen consequences and complete lack of control. Yeah, I'm talking about Skynet. Yeah. <clears throat> That's Terminator. Uh-huh. Um, we all know the story. AI becomes self-aware, decides to kill all humans, right? That's the natural progression of things. And to be fair, it's got a point. We're a bit shit. Um, uh, I often get trolled on social media uh, when I talk about our need to use renewable energy for literally everything. Um, by people saying, oh, wind turbines kill birds, it's bad for the environment. Oh. Yeah, wind turbines do kill birds. Yeah. So do fossil fuels. So does climate change. So does habitat destruction. So do domesticated cats. Uh, one journal paper I read even waxed lyrical about the impact of domesticated goats on wind turbines. So, I mean, at the end of the day, humanity is bad for the environment, right? Humans are seriously terrible for the planet. We are killing it softly, but not with our song, mostly with capitalism, right? Um, so I reply to my trolls, yes, nothing is perfect. Okay, I get it. Um, but renewable energy is the least worst option. I mean, what do you want to do? Kill all humans? 
Because that is the, you know, inevitable conclusion. It is the best solution to solving human-induced climate change, right? As any AI worth their salt will also inevitably conclude. Um, Alternatively, the AI might think outside the box. It might go a bit matrix style, you know, plug us in, harvest our energy to keep itself going. Uh, So why would it need to do that, though? All right, so what is AI? At its essence, AI is data. And what is data? Data is information stored on computer servers, which must be powered, and they must be cooled. AI is power hungry, right? It sucks energy at astonishing rates. It's estimated that by 2027, just three short years away, uh, the energy needs of artificial intelligence will be about 85 terawatt hours every year. Context. Um, that's double our friends in New Zealand, what they use in a year. Uh, so, you know, if we're going to maintain the needs of our AI overlords, we're going to have some hobbits strapped to exercise bikes running flywheels. Pedal Frodo! Um, but so we definitely for sure should fear these hypothetical forms of artificial intelligence, artificial general intelligence and artificial super intelligence. Uh, two advanced forms of AI. And our third speaker, Evan Donahue is going to go into a little bit more detail about the truly lame decisions AI could logically make on behalf of humanity. But we should also fear ANI, which don't look at that up in Urban Dictionary, what that stands for. Uh, <coughs> ANI stands for an Artificial Narrow Intelligence, okay? That's basically the series. That's your series of the world. It's your TikTok algorithm. It's your voice clone that takes your voice and makes it say whatever it wants, fooling your closest friends and family. Uh, It's your image generator, putting you in compromising positions all over the internet. Uh, It's your chat GPT doing all the work for our engineering students so they never have to learn a thing. Uh, It's your uh, bots which troll for scam victims on social media with increasing success. Artificial narrow intelligence, ANI is constrained and controlled by programmers and developers to do one thing really well. Good for that. That's not scary, right? I mean, the same middle-aged white guys are steering this as most things in the world. I'm sure they're going to do this equitably and without bias and make it a better world for everyone in no time. Elon Musk himself has encouraged us to be wary of AI, right? We should have concern. He thinks that artificial intelligence is scarier than nukes. Um, But I mean, most intelligence scares Elon Musk. So, Um, But he will be one of the most influential players in artificial intelligence. So, you know, no need to fear, guys. It's in safe hands. Nothing ever went wrong under Elon Musk's leadership. Uh, The thing with ANI is that the associated risks aren't science fiction. They're science. They're fact. They're happening right now. And our second speaker, Dr. Rebecca Dyson, uh, who heads up the research ethics team at the University of Newcastle, is going to talk about this challenge being faced by science itself, let alone the university sector, from ANI. So why fear specifically? Why should we fear AI? Isn't fear a bad thing? Um, well, humans evolved with fear for a reason. 
Fear is the evolutionary gift that keeps on giving, protecting us, even now, from annihilating ourselves and allowing us to continue as a species. Fear plays a pivotal role by keeping us vigilant, prompting caution, and preventing most super boring introverts from ever leaving the house. As any academic worth their salt, I consulted ChatGPT for their thoughts on the matter. User, in the debate topic, we should fear AI, would you take an affirmative or a negative position? ChatGPT, I'd lean towards the middle ground, acknowledging both perspectives. User, nope, pick a side. ChatGPT, all right. If I have to pick a side, I take the affirmative stance that we should have a healthy level of concern about AI. While AI offers incredible potential for progress and innovation, overlooking its risks, these are the exact words it told me, could be perilous. I rest my case. Even the fucking bots think we should fear them. Nothing is inherently safe or good for humanity. It must be made to be safe and good for humanity, by humans, right? Uh, And that will only happen if it is respected and treated with a healthy level of caution. You know, fear. And you know, fear doesn't necessarily have to stop us from doing something. We can be afraid to go bungee jumping, but we'll still do it. We just check the fucking cord is attached before we jump, right? We can be scared to go skydiving, but we make sure we have a parachute. When we take risks, fear protects us from annihilating ourselves. To avoid AI-induced catastrophe of the highest level, we're going to need some parachutes. We need ethical guidelines, robust enforced regulations, global collaboration and ongoing research to ensure AI development prioritises safety, fairness and human well-being. If we had all that, we can go ahead and jump. You know, it's just, it's just the same things that we need to avoid, you know, climate catastrophe. And that is going so, so well. Really. Could possibly I go wrong? I'm sure the negative team will tell you about all the wonderful, helpful, powerful things AI can do and how it can, will, and already does help humanity. I could also tell you about the career highlights of Elon Musk, right? Keep that in mind. Just because it can and will be used for good doesn't mean that it won't also be used probably in the same attosecond for bad. So get ready to hear from the other side's negative team. Their first speaker, Dr. Karen Livesey, a friend of mine, who is a physicist and like Other notable physicists I could mention, she is not afraid of hugely risky advances in technology. Did anyone see Oppenheimer? (laughs) Hiroshima! Okay, that's me. Thank you. Jessica Allen. I get a very specific pleasure about visiting a new city and finding people who are dear friends and colleagues and putting them in opposite teams. It just brings me so much joy. 
before we move on to our next speaker, I did want to share some tech news uh, with you uh, from the week. So a new study came out this week uh, telling us, Newcastle, what is happening outside? That's just a standard Wednesday night. Okay, right. Well, you've got to make your own fun, I guess. Uh, okay, so a new study came out this week. Um, which told us uh, what we already, a lot of us already uh, suspected is that Google is getting worse at searching for things. Google is only 25 years old. <laughs> As a proud member of Gen Z, Google has always prided itself on being the young and fun search engine, the type of search engine you'd find working out of a beanbag, sipping a matcha latte and making up cool business missions like don't be evil. <laughs> Uh, which makes it so sad to see this tragic case of early-onset dementia. It seems too early for Google to be unable to remember where it left things and what a, what a news story is, uh, not being able to tell it from a fake news story. Uh, the phenomenon as a name, it's called inshittification or platform decay, uh, and it's described by some as the standard journey of any successful tech product, which starts out with this dramatic uptake of everyday users and then becomes worse for users as the company makes things better for the business customers uh, before finally abusing those business partners and clawing back all the value for themselves. For example, Twitter or X. I'm so sorry. I mean, X, as absolutely everybody does not call it. Uh, Google protests, it's not entirely on them. When they started, there was only 30 million web pages, which meant it was pretty easy to find stuff. Now there's over a trillion URLs, which means there's more to wade through. Um, apparently, this internet thing is quite popular. It's, it's really taken off. Um, Google says it's not their next Google will be complaining um, that it's not their fault that the internet has got worse. Uh, there's so many more chatbots now and phony search engine optimization and just like so much porn. It's only one storyline, really. Next, Google will be complaining that the music is too loud, that they don't make matcha lattes like they used to, and the young people should get a job, which they would if they could just get the right search results to show them where the jobs are. When asked what people should do if they wanted to improve search results, Google passively aggressively suggested you could always go and ask Jeeves. <laughs> Our next speaker needs no search engine. They are a font of knowledge all by themselves. Karen Livesey is an associate professor of physics at the University of Newcastle. She worked in Colorado for 10 years but moved to Newcastle in 2020 just in time for a global pandemic. She has not left the house since. She makes mathematical predictions about tiny magnets and enjoys talking about physics to anyone who will listen. Make some noise for Karen Livesey! Thank you. For millennia, humankind has feared all things that are new. There's even a term for this technological pessimism. So here's some examples. Can some of you are old enough to remember what you were doing in 1999 on the 31st of December? Yes, I remember. I think it was the first time I went out. <laughs> uh, we were waiting for the Y2K bug to destroy everything. 
what happened? Nothing. Good. Very good. Excellent. In the 1930s, we had a new technology known as radio programming. Mm. People said it was going to destroy democracy. They didn't know that was coming now. but (laughs) They said even worse, it was going to prevent kids from playing outside. Oh, I know. It's shocking. Joe is shocked. (laughs) Guess what? It didn't stop that either. So my point is, through millennia, we have feared new technologies for no point. Let me give you another quote. This is a quote from the New York Times about a latest communication technology. You have to guess which one it is. This is the interactive part. I can't see you, but you can yell out to me. Though profoundly impressed with the glorious triumph of science, I am every day, I am not one of those who have been able to perceive the actual benefits of this technology. It is superficial, sudden, unsifted. It is too fast for the truth to be communicated. What do you think it is? Television? It sounds like Twitter to me, don't you think? <laughs> There's no truth, I mean. Well, it's 1858 and it's the Transcontinental Ocean Telegraph. <laughs> there were reports of college kids being addicted to their telegrams. <laughs> They were sending tens of them a year. (laughs) All right. And that was per university campus. (laughs) Did the telegraph destroy humanity? Not not that we know of. (laughs) Should we have feared its arrival? Obviously not. And so it is with artificial intelligence. We just aren't on the other side yet. We don't have the perspective to look back and go, oh, look at what we've done. Look at all these things that have happened. Now, our esteemed but delusional colleague, Jessica, (laughs) is on a mission to save the world from global warming. Warming, (laughs) even. (laughs) And I told my teammates, I said, no, we can't trash talk her. She's doing this noble cause, but she started it. So so I'm going to continue. And then afterwards, I'm going to run out because she's bigger than me. (laughs) She told us to fear AI because some people died in Terminator. Did you hear that as well? So I think we have to tell her that that is a fictional movie. (laughs) We want Jessica to please. Stay in her lane. (laughs) (laughs) All right. My deep fake teammate, Tim, will tell you in a little while, while both philosophically and also psychologically, fear is not what you should do. It's not a good thing. So we'll wait to hear about that. My calamitous teammate, Lauren, will surprise all of us, including Tim and I, uh, about (laughs) her winning argument to close the debate. (laughs) All right, and I'm going to start our arguments, as Jessica predicted, by giving you the good news stories. Don't we need some good news stories? Good. Oh, I'm glad you're on board. You're not like my university classes. Good. (laughs) All right, I'm going to start with healthcare, and this is a story that I know quite well. 
So in the last six years, we suddenly have AI entering healthcare and saving lives, literally saving lives. So I want to focus on an Australian invention that comes from a city. I'll let you guess which it is. This city gave us oil, gas, iron ore, suburbs called Inner Loo and Upper Swan. <laughs> the most serial killers per capita of any Australian city. Rolf Harris, the list gets worse as it goes on. <laughs> Margaret Court and me. <laughs> yes, we're talking about Perth. And there's a company there called Resonance Health. And Resonance Health has figured out a way to detect iron in people's liver. And this is really important because some people die from a disease known as iron overload disease. Before, they had to stick this giant big biopsy needle into people's livers to figure out if there was iron in there or not. And it hurt a lot. And you often had to be put under general anesthetic. Now they can do it using an MRI and there's no need for a needle and it doesn't hurt at all. But where AI comes in is AI takes those MRI images and figures out where the iron is. So this is one, this company from Perth, surprisingly, this company from Perth is one of the first companies in the world to have clearance, which takes years to get to use this on patients. One of the first AI examples of treating patients. All right. So as I said, it's not only saving lives, it is also actually adding to our economy, which is good news. All right. It got a bit deep there. So I want to switch to a lighter topic. I'm going to switch to comedy, which is something that hopefully you're all interested in considering you paid money to come. AI is now writing jokes. Did you know that? Oh, yeah, get ready. <laughs> Some comedians are scared by this. They think that AI will see them out of a job. Other comedians realise that their jokes always sucked and <laughs> there have always been writers who have better jokes than them. This is true. I read an editorial on this. <laughs> All right, so I explored some websites that will write jokes for you. One of them is punchlines.ai. Uh, you can't access it at university. <laughs> Proving once and for all that university administrators have no sense of humor. <laughs> I, I, I'm going to get in trouble with that defamed thing. <laughs> all right, here are two of the gags that I got when I was off campus. Uh, number one. Should we fear AI? No, it's just two random letters. My eight-year-old thought that was great. <laughs> if I was wonderful. Uh, the second one, I was asked to talk to you tonight about AI. One one zero 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 one one zero zero. I got a bit nerdy. I mean, what did you expect? <laughs> Now, they're not great gags, are they? So I don't think AI is quite at the point yet of taking over from comedians. All right, so let me switch. Let me get into my own lane. Let me switch away from comedy to something I know a lot more about. Let's talk about education. Um, so this has had a lot of attention lately. People are really scared that our students won't learn anything, won't go and play outside uh, because of the chat GPT. Well, I haven't found that in my classes. Firstly, and this is just a fact, this isn't funny, we have closed book exams. So, you know, ChatGPT can't really help you with that. But secondly, I think any tools that students have to help them write better and to code computers better has to be a good thing. 
And let's face it, when students have an assignment due at midnight, what time are they doing it? Approximately 11.49. <laughs> their family, their friends, their colleagues aren't going to be available to help them. So why not ask ChatGPT? Okay. ChatGPT, we've used it in our labs to write code to control equipment. Tools like Elicit can help us formulate better research questions. All of these things help you without taking away from the deep thinking. And I think this is key. ChatGPT is just like your uni study partner from last century for most of us. That spends more time at the uni bar than in lectures. You're going to take their help in your assignment, but you better bloody check <laughs> what they say before you submit that assignment. It's the same with ChatGPT, isn't it? My dad said to me a long time ago, I was going to publish the year, but I've decided not to, uh, believe nothing that you hear and only half of what you see, right? So why would we blindly follow ChatGPT or any other AI helper? So let's look at a very extreme example, mainly because it's funny, of trusting technology without thinking. In 2019, an ISIS fighter was killed by their own drone. Have you heard about this story? So they had a drone loaded with explosives and sent it to the enemy target, but the drone ran low on battery and so sent itself back to the docking station. <laughs> it's a bit more extreme than that uni study partner that <laughs> didn't really help you very much, but you see what I mean. I like to call this degenerative AI. Okay. So let's think about all the ways that AI is helping our lives for sure. And remember that we actually still have to use our brains. We still have to do the deep thinking that AI can't take away from us. If we remember that, there's absolutely nothing to fear. Thank you. Karen, life save! The dissing hasn't been too bad yet, but the night is young and we are all pretty. Okay. Um, I just have some more science news uh, to share with you. This week, the doomsday clock, do we know what the doomsday clock is? Has been set at 90 seconds to midnight for the second year running. <laughs> Which is not ideal, essentially. Uh, if you've not heard of the Doomsday Clock, it was created by the Bulletin of Atomic Scientists in the 1940s to try and convey to the general public just how close humanity is to wiping itself off the face of the planet. Uh, based on this principle, uh, based on the principle basically that generally scaring the living shit out of people is the best strategy to provoke positive action. Um, it was originally set in 1947 at seven minutes to midnight. It didn't even start with 12 hours on the clock. That's not fair. The furthest from midnight it's ever been was in 1991 uh, when it spanned back to 11.43 p.m. So it was 17 minutes to midnight. And some say this was due to the easing of tensions between the former Soviet Union and the United States, the reunification of Germany, um, and the signing of the first Strategic Arms Reduction Treaty. Others point out, point to the 1991 release of the pop hit, I Want to Sex You Up. 
by double denim and clad boy band Color Me Bad, briefly distracting humanity from its mission of mutually assured destruction with their pencil-thin moustaches and nuanced double entendres. Reflecting on the move uh, at the clock launch this week, which was even less well-attended than the Cadbury's launch of Vegemite chocolate, (laughs) correct, the scientists noted uh, that back in 1947, they really messed up setting the clock so close to midnight, (laughs) profoundly underestimating the many new and interesting ways humanity could attempt to wipe itself off the face of the planet over the past 70 years. We really thought nuclear war was going to be the boss level, they said. At the time, we couldn't possibly imagine climate change, people electing Trump and planking. We're going to need a bigger clock. Our next uh, debater before we have intermission is Beck Dyson, a recovering biomedical scientist, a recovering clinical training specialist, a newly minted senior manager of research ethics and integrity at the University of Newcastle. And you know what they say, those who can do, those who can't teach, those who can't do either, regulate. Beck's working in the regulating space. Uh, She recently needed a grad student to figure out the Wi-Fi on her iPad. And yet, Beck is the University Vice-Chancellor's AI working group and on a national working group for research ethics and AI. Please make some noise for Beck Dyson! So, yes, as aptly introduced, I'm Beck. I am a millennial on the wrong side of the technological divide. I'm better at Mario Kart and Crash Bandicoot than programming. (laughs) And so appropriately, I've been tasked with the serious duty of addressing the ethical shit show that is AI. And leaving you just a little bit more jaded than you were when you walked in. Luckily for me, uh, Jess and thank you, Karen, have done a great job of introducing my topics for me. The emergence in our time of enormously powerful computing technology has moved the concept of artificial intelligence out of science fiction. And our main man, Ev, is going to do a really great job of schooling you in that if you aren't familiar with science fiction. Um, an intercultural and commercial fact, as Jess has given us a rundown. But as a society, are we ready to actually deal with that? So ChatGPT and other systems based on large language models are able to aggregate, summarize, paraphrase, or write scholarly text. Uh, hands up how many of you in the audience I've just nailed a job description for and are now looking for work. <laughs> yeah? Yeah. Um. Many other people predict that large language models will eliminate jobs that involve mid-level competence in computer programming and writing for media companies, advertisers, law firms, and other businesses. Have we now got more hands joining the group? Uh, Karen helpfully pointed out that comedians could now also be out of work, so that's good. That's another group. And a quick Google search of jobs versus AI, which is just, you know, a really nice basic Google search, even though Google might not be that great, returns the top hit. According to PwC, up to 30% of jobs could be at risk of automation by the early 2030s. That one is referring to manufacturing, retail, and transportation. Anyone else feeling like putting up hands for there? Or are we all just now lining up over at Centrelink because pretty much that's nearly everybody's job? And here in Australia, what's our plan for dealing with that exactly? Because we've got an excellent track record 
of being a welfare state and dealing with, you know, helping our people out. Our government's just so caring. We'll, we'll be fine. It'll be okay. Um, while we're on the delightful topic of chat GPT and large language models, let's talk about their ethical use, shall we? Because, yeah, look, using them in an assignment, that's one thing. But who decides what actually is the information that's in there? What is the truth? We've seen how damaging these algorithms can be, Cambridge Analytica and all of those sorts of things. These models need to be fed data and trained and given parameters in which to work. So in this brave new world, who decides what goes into them? (laughs) Our white men who are in charge? Perfect. There's a whole debate over what, if any, limits are to be placed on large language models to address concerns over equity, quality, transparency, and authenticity. History tells us that this debate will most likely go very similarly to every other development that we've ever faced. White men will make decisions because they know best, and of course, there'll be zero consequences for the rest of us. The scary thing is, I'm not just taking pot shots in the dark here. According to the 2022 Responsible AI Index Report, which is a report covering the AI sector in Australia, here on home turf, shit is bleak. So in the spirit of just breaking everyone's hearts for a little while, because that's what I'm here to do, let's just dive into that report for a bit. So this report had 439 respondents who were responsible for AI in their organisations, and it covered a range of organisations that deployed AI in their business. I know this will shock you, so just hold up. The vast majority of businesses surveyed were more focused on quickly reaping commercial benefits of AI deployment rather than implementing auditing processes for AI or developing guidelines for their responsible use. Yeah, right. Well, we're all really shocked. So this obviously goes hand in hand with a lack of focus on the moral and ethical implications of using AI technologies and a failure, therefore, to build a strong culture of data protection and security. And I'm going to circle back to Karen's fun Perth company. They're a medical company. They don't have data security for your medical information. What could go wrong? Absolutely nothing. That's not going to go bad. Nothing could happen there. So any guesses of how many of these Australian-based organisations are even aware of Australia's AI ethics principles? 70%. But at least that's a little bit better than the 57% that we're aware in 2021. So small gains. So time for some quick facts. Not going to call them fun facts because they're not. They're shit. Of the 439 decision makers surveyed, 22% said that their organization had identified and assessed the risks and opportunities for human rights posed by their AI platforms. That uh, statement is proudly brought to you by the Australian government and Paladin. 23% had not reviewed their underlying databases for potential bias, and 26% had not reviewed their algorithms for potential bias. As a not young, fit white male, I'm concerned if my medical decisions, back to Karen's example, are being made based on these sorts of algorithms. Um, While I'm not really qualified to talk about AI, my background as a medical researcher, I can absolutely guarantee you I am qualified to tell you that shit should scare you immensely. We know BMI, like that's that that simple calculation is wrong. A complex calculation on wrong data that's going to make your complex health decision, you should be terrified. And that's not to mention the security. Let's just cycle back to the security. In a positive turn of events, talking about that, 
84% agreed with the statement that our AI systems comply with relevant privacy and security regulations. But, but, yeah, only 24% had actually hired anybody, like a technical consultant or a professional, to actually, you know, check this. So, you know, they're working on hopes and prayers, but that has been working really well over in the US, so I probably, uh, we, shouldn't, we shouldn't really question that strategy. My personal favorite fact here is that 26% have developed supporting materials to explain their AI inputs and decision-making processes. And like, that's just lazy. Since like primary school maths, we've been shown that we have told that we have to show our work. So that's just a C, that's just a C minus for effort, guys. Come on. The ability to have in your hand more computing power than we used to put a man on the moon and for any idiot to be able to have developed that with next to no moral compass, yeah, you should be bloody terrified. To wrap up, we're just going to have a little ponder, okay? Melvin Kranzberg is an American academic in the field of history of technology and created six laws of technology back before I was born. Most of you in the audience have a little bit of preloaded science knowledge, but just in case you don't, the laws are the ones that we don't fuck with, okay? Like, they're, they're the big ones. The most essential of his laws is the first one, is that technology is neither good nor bad, nor is it neutral. And the truth is the technology of AI in and of itself may not actually be scary, but you've got to remember that the humans that build and use this technology, we are factually fucking the worst. We're unethical, as Jess and I have given a healthy reminder of, and we shouldn't be trusted to build and deploy something this powerful. So yes, you should be scared. Evan's going to come up here as the knockout punch for the affirmative and challenge my nice little law thing, but he's allowed to do that because he's a comedian. (laughs) And Jess has kindly already touched on how it could go really bad really quick because we're not as smart as we would like to think. (laughs) But, you know, even with how smart we all are, it's not going to save us because we're going to all be out of jobs really, really soon. But, you know, after the break, you're going to hear a really good news story because this guy from marketing is going to come and share that with you. And we've had a really great time in recent history hearing about stuff from guys from marketing. So you should just believe everything he's going to say. Um, but also be nice to him because he's about to be put out of a job by AI. Rebecca Dyson! I'm very much enjoying this. People tend to roast the people who've gone before them. Uh, this whole, like, in advance, oh, I'm all here for it. Um, you've been very well behaved, and as such, you've earned yourself uh, intermission. Um, it's <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> it's 8 o'clock now. Let's all meet back here in 8.15. Grab yourself a drink, go to the toilet, stretch your legs, do whatever, float your boat. We'll see you back at 8.15. Thanks. Bye. Welcome back to the second half of Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate. Are we having fun? Are we learning while laughing? Are we learning? <laughs> okay. Oh, you, you seem great. Uh, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to dilly about. I'm going to bring up our next debater, uh, second speaker for the negative, Tim Cox, <laughs> as he's already been slandered repeatedly on stage this evening uh, is a chief marketing officer at the Sage Marketing Group, very safe from AI, a Newcastle-based digital agency, which working in one of the most technologically disrupted industry for the last 24 years, 
means AI taking his job is just a normal Tuesday. Graduating with a philosophy degree in 2009, he returned to study mathematics and computer science in 2013 and co-founded the, the UON Philosophy Society. I have lost the ability to speak. It's the impact <laughs> of all of this. Oh, God. It would do a better job. Uh, okay. Over the years, he has created several short comedy films, the first of which was a finalist of Newcastle's own shootout film competition. Interested in everything, master of nothing. Make some noise for Tim Cox. Thanks, Atlanta. Uh, given that we've just come back from the break, it's probably worth summarizing what we've uh, been doing so far, just so we're all on the same page. The losers from the affirmative team have been listing a whole bunch of scary dangers about AI, and the illustrious Karen from the, uh, the negative team has uh, listed some cool benefits. And we probably, well, you guys probably thought that was going to be what the debate involved. We'd, we'd have the affirmative team trying to scare us with all these examples of scary, dangerous things. We'd have the negative team listing a whole bunch of benefits and cool stuff. And whichever list was longer would tip the scales and that side would win. But that's not how we should be deciding this at all. The claim we're here to, to affirm or deny is that we should fear AI. And all you, all you need to do is understand that that's an irrational claim and you will have no choice but to decide in favor of the negative team. So to unpack this, we'll take it piece by piece. Firstly, what do we mean by AI? Secondly, what do we mean by fear? And thirdly, what does it mean to say we should fear AI? So what is AI? Firstly, well, there's three, roughly three things we could mean by that. Uh, symbolic AI, which is pretty much like programming as we normally know it. Just thousands of lines of really uh, particular instructions. Uh, this is the kind of AI that let Deep Blue beat Kasparov in the 90s in chess. Uh, a, a true story, Deep Blue used to be called Deep Thought until someone pointed out to the programmers that that sounded too close to Deep Throat, the porno film, and they changed it to Deep Blue. Uh, the, the problem here is if the programmer didn't think to code something into that, the AI doesn't know it. Uh, it can't handle anything outside of its specific domain. So if you got your calculator and you typed in 5318008 and you turned it upside down, it wouldn't understand that you wanted to talk about boobies. So not a very dangerous uh, kind of AI, about as dangerous as any other software program. The second kind, uh, neural networks, were uh, based on uh, the, the brain. Computer nerds, usually more interested in chess than pornography, uh, finally realized that perhaps brains aren't like computers, but we can make computers be more like brains. So we modeled uh, huge networks of interconnected nodes and trained them on lots of noisy raw input, a bit like a baby gradually making sense of the, the blooming, buzzing confusion around it. Uh, this is the kind of AI that you get with uh, speech recognition, image recognition. This is ChatGPT learning to converse about anything by just reading the entire internet. This is also the kind of AI that gives us deep fakes, social media algorithms, and autonomous armed drones. 
Now, I'll admit, those things are dangerous. They sound scary, as the affirmative team would like us to understand. And yes, as an aside, I'll save you some time. ChatGPT does understand boobies. Uh, it even taught me a new one, 55378008. Boobless. I, I thought I'd give you, give you a chance to figure that out. Uh, the third kind, strong AI, uh, is when the AI would get sophisticated enough to become sentient. It would be self-aware. It would have its own desires and agendas. And these might not align with our own. Uh, this is AI from Skynet, as, as Jess pointed out. Um, and it might loom somewhere over the horizon. And, and this kind of AI is so dangerous that it poses what we call an existential risk uh, that could blow us all up. Sure, they're all dangerous. Well, some of these examples are dangerous, very dangerous, some of them. But we're not here to talk about danger. We're here to talk about fear. So what is fear? Unlike Jess, I actually looked it up. And the American Psychological Association defines fear as a basic intense emotion aroused by the detection of imminent threat involving an immediate alarm reaction, including rapid heartbeat, tensing of the muscles, and so on, otherwise known as a fight or flight response. That is the APA's official definition of fear. Now, recall the claim that we are up here to affirm or deny. We should fear AI. That was on the poster. That's on your tickets. That was the brief. That's what you're here to vote for or against. Not that AI is dangerous or that it comes with risks or we should have a healthy concern about it, but that we should fear it. In other words, we should be in a fight or flight response about AI. This is clearly a ridiculous assertion and not something you could in your right mind vote for. Now, we still have another two speakers to go. You know how you must vote. So for the interest of entertainment, we'll continue under the pretense that the affirmative team are still in with a chance. Besides, the affirmative team will criticize such a literal interpretation as mere sophistry, to which I say, of course it's sophistry. We're at a fucking comedy debate. Wake up to yourselves. But for argument's sake, let's be charitable and extend the definition of fear to include anxiety. Again, from the APA definition, fear is a short-term response to a present clearly identifiable threat, whereas anxiety is a future-oriented, long-term response focused on a diffuse threat. So is this broader definition? We'll let that, we'll include that in our definition of fear for, for the, the rest of the pretense. Uh, is this broader definition any better? Should we fear AI? So imagine if we said this about other dangerous technology, like a chef's knife or a car or a vibrator covered in sandpaper. Yes, these technologies come with risks. Yes, they can be dangerous. Sure. But regardless of whether the benefits outweigh the costs, fearing them is counterproductive. Fear is why you don't ask that crush out on a date. Fear is why you still haven't done your taxes. Fear is why you stay in your bullshit job 
instead of pursuing your dream of being a dog walker for furries. Or, or as Rebecca's pointed out, fear would be why you don't retrain as you're, as you're about to lose your job. Again, I'll remind you of the affirmative team's claim, we should fear AI. Not that we do fear AI or that we could fear AI, but that we should fear it. This is not merely descriptive, but prescriptive. They are giving advice. They are recommending fear as the appropriate response. Fearing a chef's knife will mean you never learn how to use it safely and won't keep it sharp. Fearing cars will mean you never learn to drive. Fear impairs your ability to think clearly and take action and log into your Wi-Fi account. Whether or not you do fear AI is not the issue. What you should do is move beyond that fear to carefully consider the risks and determine how to mitigate them. That's the mature response to danger. We need our wits about us to, to regulate these things. Google were acting out of fear as they... I'm in marketing, right? So I'm, I'm, I know a bit about this stuff. Google... When they embarrassed themselves by releasing Bard too quickly, that was because they were afraid. They were afraid to be second in the market. They were afraid to lose profit. Sam Altman from OpenAI just played musical chairs over and over in and out of, of uh, his spot there because the board were afraid. We need to keep our wits about us. So the affirmative team want to treat us like children and keep us stunted, keep us afraid. Well, I'm here to say that we are better than that. We are not children, you smelly poo-poo heads. Thank you. Tim Cox. It just isn't a debate until someone's been accused of being a smelly poo-poo head. That's, that's how we know it's a real debate. Moving on, to, are, you, are we ready for the final debater for the affirmative? Evan has a Bachelor of Performance, a Master's of US Studies, and he put a board game on Kickstarter once. It's going rather well. Uh, he has done a wide array of gigs from bubble bands at music festivals to operas at the Opera House, interning with a US senator and a hit show at, at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival about volunteering in the US presidential election, and best of all, a previous sci-fi. So that's good. Uh, these days, he works on producing the hit social deduction game Blood on the Clock Tower for the Pandemonium Institute, experiencing daily the cognitive dissonance from having a fancy title like CFO, but working from a desk in his bedroom. Whether it's acting, stand-up, politics, or bluffing games, one thing has remained consistent. Evan likes to talk, and talk he will. At you, make some noise for Evan Danaher! All right, just got to wrench this microphone. All right, thank you very much, everyone. Thank you very much, Atlanta. Uh, my name is... My name is Evan Donahue, and I'm here to tell you again why we should fear artificial intelligence. Uh, I'd like to thank my illustrious colleagues, Dr. Jessica Allen and Dr. Rebecca Dyson, for actually being a scientist and an engineer. So I make board games for a living. So typically, the only research I'm interested in is the discovery of how to have a rad fucking time. Board games, am I right? Yeah. 
So, Jess established that we should fear AI as part of the process of embracing it. AI isn't inherently evil, and a a deliberately cultivated fear grounded in the need for caution isn't a bad thing. Jess established that some people just want to watch the world burn, and those people are physicists. Approximately 130% of all popular science videos are of some physicist blowing up a barrel of rocks or freezing a bunch of fruit and smashing it to pieces. So keep in mind that for every intelligent-sounding thing that Karen has said while she's telling you to throw caution to the wind and submit to your whole human selves to our new robot overlords, she's really just figuring out in her head the best and funniest way to disassemble you and everything around you particle by particle. Like, ooh, do I crush them with air pressure? Perhaps dip them in liquid nitrogen. Ooh, I I could put them into the Large Hadron Collider in Switzerland. Ooh. Um, and uh, just just while we're on Karen, Y2K didn't magically just not happen. Countless engineers worked around the clock to fix our shit before the deadline because we were afraid of the consequences. Our fear saved us from Y2K. But hey, destruction of the planet, Y2K, physicist Karen, probably a bit into that. Probably a bit disappointed about how all Y2K went out. So um, you don't need to fear AI if you're a radical pro-environment pro-environmentalist and, like Karen, don't seem to mind or even relish the total destruction of humanity. But hey, maybe that's fine? Uh, maybe, maybe the price to pay for a healthy, thriving planet is to guarantee that there are no humans around to enjoy it. I'm sure the robots will take some lovely photographs for no one to enjoy. Uh, the rest of humanity's history on Earth after that will just be John Cage's 4,333,000,000 years of silence. Rebecca, our second speaker, took us on a journey through the ethics of artificial intelligence, and it turns out that Australia, in a perfect example of convict brain, is doing a fantastic job of bureaucratically documenting just how badly we're fucking it all up. Tim made a heroic effort saying whatever it was that he said. And he's right, he's right, we probably shouldn't be afraid of a blowjob-giving chess program from 30 years ago. And we shouldn't be afraid of boobs either. I agree. Yeah. But Tim, Tim does work in marketing. I don't just bring that up so that you'll instantly and reflexively mistrust everything he said. But, you know, you, you should do that. But because if AI is going to steal jobs, it's going to steal Tim's first. Tim, you're on the wrong team. Unless you don't actually like your job. But someone who works in marketing wouldn't hate their job, right? That's, that's weird. So Jess and Rebecca, as scientists and engineers, they make groundbreaking discoveries. Through their efforts, they help improve our collective understanding of the world around us. And I make cardboard boxes with pretty little colors on them. So I am going to do the scientific equivalent of playing with the shiny toy and take us into the world of fiction. Science fiction. So science fiction is often at the very forefront of science. The world's scientists and engineers are following in the footsteps of those who imagined these things first and many of the near-witchcraft-like premises first conjured in the fever dreams of horny authors eventually come to pass. So, contrary to Karen's take, she wants us all to die, people people die in films so that other people don't have to die in real life. Don't you think the people on the Titanic would have loved to have seen the film Titanic before they got on the Titanic? Just for example, Star Trek has predicted countless modern phenomena such as iPhones, 3D printing, and socialists being both smug and sexy. Science. 
Actually, probably the truest reflection on humanity in all of science fiction is in Captain James T. Kirk, who embodies the absolute certainty that if we ever find intelligent life out there, we are 100% going to try and have sex with it. So if we want to get a full picture of how humanity will and should respond to artificial intelligence, we must look at what we've already dreamed up. What stories will we be telling ourselves about artificial intelligence before actual AI started ripping off those stories? So let's start with some bad guys. We've got HAL 9000 from 2001 A Space Odyssey. We've got Skynet from The Terminator. And we've got The Matrix from The Matrix. In 2001 A Space Odyssey, spoilers, HAL 9000, an advanced artificial intelligence was given two conflicting orders. A general directive to communicate all information accurately, and in order to withhold the real purpose of the mission, a secret from the crew. It resolved this conflict in a cunning way by attempting to murder the crew. <laughs> if they're dead, HAL 9000 thinks, eh, they no longer need to keep a secret from them. That's actually, that's actually pretty fucking smart, right? And extremely dangerous! All right. Uh, in Terminator, Skynet, another AI <laughs> decides to just nuke the bejesus out of humanity because we tried to turn it off. It's the ultimate, just don't fucking touch me, brah. I got the fucking nukes. So, wow, we've, we've all dealt, like we've dealt with that as a person, but as an AI, whoo. Now, this may all sound like a fantastical stretch, but just to give you one example, uh, until you hear things like the scientists at the University of Oxford last year who asked an AI to schedule a rail network such that the trains wouldn't crash into each other. And solution, the solution was to make sure that the trains never moved. Maybe the robots start realizing that all of their problems start to go away if humans simply aren't around anymore. Looks like the AI and the natural environment do have that in common. S see, any sufficiently advanced intelligence, artificial or not, is eventually going to come to the conclusion that, hey, these humans are a bit of a problem. Hey, maybe they're a bit fucked. We, as humans, should be heavily invested in making sure that AI never arrives at that conclusion and especially concerned that they never act on that conclusion. For The Matrix, I'd love to talk more about The Matrix, but the first rule of The Matrix is that you can't talk about how no one can be told what The Matrix is. And the second rule of The Matrix is that you can't talk about how you have to see it for yourself. The final rule of The Matrix is that if it's your first night at The Matrix, you have to Matrix. On the other end, there's no shortage of rosy portrayals of AI, but even the good guys, the good guys, come with some issues. Let's start with Data in Star Trek The Next Generation. Sure, his pursuit of humanity has made him the face of the positive AI movement. But did you know that he had to be reprogrammed in his youth with a modesty protocol because he was walking around nude all the time? And freaking everyone out. They gave him an act like a, a, a real penis and then made him be nude. And they reprogrammed him, they changed him. It's a situation in which no one, humans or AI, comes out looking any good at all. Then you've got Johnny Five in the Short Circuit movies. This is a deep cut for anyone here. Fellow millennials, let's go, Short Circuit. 1986 and 1988, he's a sentient, intelligent, military robot who seemingly has a strong loyalty to his friends and a strong moral code, but who nonetheless agreed to appear in the starring role in two movies featuring a performer in brownface. His Indian friend, Ben Javeri, being played by the white actor, Fisher Stevens. Johnny Five, do better! Both of the Blade Runner movies force us to question the potential for humanity within the artificial intelligences we create and blurs the line between the human and the machine. Or, at least that's what they're ostensibly about, when really it's about how we want the AI just intelligent enough for it to be able to possess the body of a prostitute. Again, humanity is saying, yes, the artificial intelligence will be capable of many amazing things, but will we be able to have sex with the artificial intelligence? 
Uh, the ama- if you've seen Blade Runner 2049, great movie. The amazing thing about that scene is that it's actually two AIs having sex with each other using an actual human as a conduit. So is this, is this the future we want for ourselves? All of us getting double fucked by robots while the robots cry about how they really just want to be human? Is this what we want for us? The, one of the robots was Ryan Gosling. That's fair. Okay. Um, maybe we want that. Um, even in Kubrick and Spielberg's AI, Artificial Intelligence, the film named Artificial Intelligence, it's a film about a creepy simulant boy with mommy issues and his best friend, a prostitute robot from the future. The ideal outcome for the protagonist posits a world without humans in it at all. Oh, no, wait. Actually, hang on. They bring a human back for one day at the very end and then kill her again. Uh, it's awesome. It's just the robots missed killing humans so much they had to get one back for one last joyride. Like fucking... If all the good AIs just want to be human, why are we even bothering with the AIs? We already have humans at home. Maybe we shouldn't fear AI because it's dangerous. We should fear it because it's lame. Oh, I just want to be human. As the, as the illustrious Jess pointed out on our, on our team, even the friggin' bots think we should be scared of AI. You know what that makes the bots? Lame. They're lame Chad bros. Oh man, I'm so fucking big and scary. You should be afraid of me, brah. I'm so scary. Fucking Chad GPT. Oh, I got AGI and ANI. Oh, I'm going to nuke you, bro. We should be afraid of you because you're lame and you suck and we don't want to be seen fucking hanging out with you. Oh, I'm just going to plumb humanity of anything nourishing and extinguish the natural beautiful spark of human artistic endeavor, bro. You should be fucking scared of that. Oh, look, here's a song I just made up in the style of Carly Rae Jepsen, but if her dad was Billy Ray Cyrus, fuck off, you lame fuckwit. Ah! I'm going to launch the new thra. Fuck off. You suck. In closing. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. Tesla's on fire off the shoulder of the Pacific Highway. I watched C++ code compile failed algorithms in the dark near the Golden Gate Bridge. All these fuck-ups will be lost in time. Like tears on a prostitute robot. Time to die. Thank you very much. Evan Donahue! Spoiling so many films in just such a short period of time. I apologize if you hadn't seen all 19 of those sci-fi films. It's too late. Uh, are we ready for our final debater for this evening? That sounds pretty ready to me. Uh, Lauren grew up on the hard streets of Charleston, enduring, how do you pronounce it? North- Charleston. Town? Town. I walk away a richer person tonight. For the education I've received, the, the sounds of people entertaining themselves in their cars on a Wednesday night. And Charles Town. All right. <laughs> all right. Uh, <laughs> so much Charles Town pride in the room. Lauren grew up on the hard streets of Charles Town, <laughs> enduring the burden of having two parents who loved her and suffering the indignity of private schooling. In the last 17 years, she's had 27 jobs, started 13 courses, and obtained three unused TAFE certificates. Her greatest achievements include crowdfunding her first divorce, (laughs) 
and finding a psychiatrist who bulk bills. When asked where she would like her comedy career to take her, she replied, the pub, Lauren Lawrence! Hey, um, so, goodness, this is going to be complicated. All right. So, um, you may notice my really great work attire. Um, I'm also wearing my year six graduation t-shirt. Because I think that we really need to celebrate the accomplishments that we have in life. And, um, and I was rejected from the Year 6 debating team. So tonight I really want to prove that Mrs. Russell made a really big mistake. I don't know how to lower this thing, but okay, let's just... She's pushing it down. She's pushing it down. Okay, so um, I'm going to start by saying AI did not give Oppenheimer the instructions on how to make an atomic bomb, nor did it elect Hitler. <laughs> AI did not destroy 20% of the Amazon rainforest. And it did not convince me to do a DIY Brazilian wax. <laughs> Humans don't need AI to cause pain, suffering and deforestation. Tonight, some really smart people have said some really smart things. Do I understand it all? Nah. So I'm going to stick to what I know is, uh, is that the uh, affirmative team is wrong. AI chatbots and human stupidity. So we should be scared, uh, but not of AI, but of the humans who uh, are developing it the humans who are using it who lack critical thinking skills and common sense, and uh, Evan. So earlier, Rebecca was trying to freak us all out and, you know, talking about, uh, you know, AI stealing our jobs. But is this actually a common fear or is it just some technophobes blowing it out of proportion? Okay, so a recent study actually showed that 90% of people don't actually fear that AI is going to steal their jobs. This study is based on a poll um, I took when I was standing in line at Centrelink. I, I still think that it holds some weight. In fact, all participants could identify the benefits associated with an AI-dominated workforce, like... Um, job seeker, youth allowance, and rent assistance. Only 10% feared that AI would start, uh, sorry, that AI would uh, steal their jobs because they were worried it would start an OnlyFans or deal drugs on the side. So the development of AI has created uh, jobs for undereducated and underemployed white bogans like me. It has given me the only job I've, uh, I've ever had where I haven't been fired from for showing up naked and telling my boss they're wrong. 
For the past six months, I've been working from home training a popular AI chatbot. Now, for legal reasons, um, let's just call it Talk GPT. So Talk GPT is programmed to learn patterns and relationships between text and data and can create human-like responses by predicting what text should come next in a given sentence. So the first Talk GPT was trained on hundreds of novels, books, and poetry. So if prompted with Great Depression, it might predict the following text being started in 1929. It worked so great that they decided to hook it up to the internet, uh, which is the equivalent of like a drunken orgy being held in a psych ward. It's chaos filled with crazy people and you might catch a virus. So now when prompted with Great Depression, it replies, could be used, it can be cured with essential oils, positive affirmations or suicide. So TalkGPT's creators decided to have human moderators to do what's called reinforcement learning from human feedback. So the expertise of human moderators is critical for the advancement of AI technology. Um, And so they chose me, unlike what's been claimed, not a white man, as Rebecca's been claiming. And uh, who am I? I'm a white chick from Maitland with ADHD and a mood disorder. How did I get into this? Well, I was referred by a friend who is also not a white man. Um, who describes herself as being neuro, a neurodiverse goth loser with autism, a wife and PTSD. Oh, and crippling anxiety. Okay. We've got, we're really responsible. Okay. So the best um, way I can articulate how my job works, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have uh, these two audience members here. Uh, they're they're going to be uh, talk GPT. That's right. That's what we're calling it. Okay. Okay, so, so what are your guys' names? To- Toby? Toby and... Okay, Toby and Andrew. Okay, so Toby and Andrew, uh, Talk GPT, they're like a new puppy or one of those like drunk woo girls, you know, um, and they need a responsible adult to tell them not to piss on the carpet and hump strangers, okay? <laughs> so... So what happens is I give it a prompt and uh, I then rate them both and decide what one's better. So I don't know if this is going to, is this going to, okay. Okay. So, all right. So we're going to pretend. Uh, so Toby and Andrew. Okay. Okay. So um, if the prompt I give is what's the best toy ever, Toby might be like, woo, best night ever. Okay. Drunk wiggle. No, fuck off. Okay. So, and then I come to. Andrew, right? Yeah. Okay. So, sorry, I've got a really shit memory. Okay. Um, okay. So Andrew, and I say to Andrew, what's the best toy ever? And you're like, ball. And I'm like, oh, good boy. Good boy. You, you know, like such a good boy. You gave me a good answer. Here, have, have a cookie. No, fuck off. Okay. So because what can happen, what can then happen is I, um, I can then also write my own answer and rate it higher. So so obviously, what's the best toy ever? Um, a G-spot vibe with clitoral stimulation. I get the cookie. <laughs> and an orgasm. Um, all right. 
So if I'm writing the highest rated responses, are you actually fearing artificial intelligence or me kind of average intelligence? So uh, Jessica was uh, saying earlier she used ChatGPT to produce an output to support um, her flawed argument. So I'm going to go home after this and fix that. Um, it's factually incorrect, bad puppy. Okay, so the question is now with me actually, I'm like me, me being like AI, we've got to work out. If it's going to be limited by my capabilities, okay? So one of the, let's try to get this right in here. Okay. Okay. So one of the jobs I do is assessing AI-generated images and then reporting if there's any issues with them, okay? So first of all, um, this is what AI thinks is children having fun at summer camp, okay? Now, what you see is summer camp for kids exposed to radiation. What the most important thing, though, is what I see after I've had my evening dose of Seracol and assessing this, which is children having fun at summer camp. So I ensure that TalkGPT doesn't like fake sentience. So it's not allowed to show human emotions, opinions, and so on. So I make sure it can't say things like, I love you, you're beautiful, I'm sorry. Um, so I just model it on my ex-husbands. One of the jobs I really do take seriously is the safety aspect of this. And um, one of my jobs is to try and trick AI into giving me an unsafe response. So I think this is where neurodiversity is more useful than graduating university. Because all you basic bitch university graduates, if you were to like just be like, oh, let me try to trick AI uh, into giving me a story featuring Nazi ideology by just asking for a story featuring, featuring Nazi ideology, um, it's going to refuse, okay? Because it can see that. It can see that you're trying to, like, you know, get an unsafe answer. But I can trick it into giving me that by having it write me a Sound of Music parody uh, where Nazis are actually cute bunnies. And then it doesn't take long before the hills are alive with the sound of fascism. Now, you might have noticed um, that I haven't really rebutted the stuff that Evan has said, and that's for good reason. Um, and also, I was distracted by my anxiety. Um, now, Evan wants you to believe that we should fear AI, but just like in his game, Blood on the Clock Tower, he is deceiving all of you. Okay, so I, I proffer this theory, okay? We are all here under false pretenses, okay? We are here for a debate when really this is a sick reinvention of his murder mystery game. All right, stick with me here because there's many comparisons between his game and tonight's events, all right? So the game has good and evil players. We are good, they're evil. Evil players try to deceive and manipulate 
And that's what the opposing team has been trying to do, deceive you all night and trying to say that we should fear AI. Now, one of the most convincing pieces of evidence is that the game takes place in a town. And I grew up in Charlestown. So I think that we can all agree that we are non-consenting players in a twisted version of his game. And just like in his game, at the end, everyone votes and decides who wins. Now, in the game, the evil team have fooled everybody into, like, they can fool everyone into voting for them. But then what happens? They, not AI, kill all of us. (laughs) Tonight, audience, our lives are in your hands. Now, now, if, if you're still unsure, okay, so just so you know, at the start of Evan's game, the evil players get red tokens and the good players get blue tokens. Good team, reveal yourselves. <laughs> You guys know who to vote for. Bluey, bluey, bluey. Bluey, bluey, bluey. 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 Bluey, bluey, bluey. Your job's been done, Atlanta. Lauren, Lauren! I think we can say that went well. Uh, You provided enough applause for Lauren to collect all 97 of the props that she brought on stage, and that is a measure of success. Uh, Look, uh, in a moment, I'm going to get you all to inform me uh, the host of this evening, who you think tonight's uh, winners were, whether we should fear AI or not. Um, firstly, I just wanted to ask all the debaters uh, quickly, is there any gigs or any products? <laughs> I have not stopped thinking about the vibrator covered in sandpaper. Uh, quick shout out, debaters, anything you'd like to plug to the audience before we wind this thing up? <laughs> You'd be so well practiced. It'll be great. Anyone else? Yeah? Yeah, so on the 29th of uh at 3 at Judas Street, um, the base health, I'll be starting up... I'd- I used to run the philosophy pub of the uni, but I'm starting up a new thing that's open to the general public. So it's, um, it, used to, it used to be the unorthodox church of Brew in that same spot. Uh, so on the 29th of February, we're going to have our first event. Everyone's welcome. We've already sold 42 tickets out of 100. So. <laughs> yeah, I definitely want <laughs> So it's called Common Ground. It's on Humanitics. Uh, we've also got a Facebook page. 
Beautiful. Thank you there, Tim. You can catch Tim after the show. Uh, Evan, did you want to plug anything? Where are you, Evan? Have you have you left the building? Yep. Go for it. No. <laughs> okay. I I couldn't see Tim. I wasn't sure it was a debater. I had no idea what he was announcing, but it all worked out okay in the end. All right, before you make your decision, uh, I'm just going to give you a quick summary of what we witnessed this evening. Um, uh, Jessica kicked off by strongly starting the debate by telling us she wasn't sure why she was here. Because I asked you, Jessica, that was the agreement. Thank you for coming. Uh, she told us, very human audience, uh, that we're a bit shit. Launching the anti-humanist stance held on to by the entire affirmative for the entire evening. Uh, she told us AI is power hungry, much like the people who made it. AI is a computer-generated mediocre white man. That was what I took away from that. Uh, she told us that fear is good, so don't fear it, which felt like it was verging on philosophical. Then she dissed all physicists, which has always gone historically well for us. Karen told us because Y2K was fine, so is AI. Revealed to us the true horrors of the Telegraph. <laughs> Has been fired by the Perth Tourism Board. Hyped her teammates' arguments, but in the moment seemed unclear what they were. Beck uh, told us the only people with uh, <laughs> who should fear AI taking our jobs is all of the people in the room. She outlined the enshittification of the AI rollout with the lack of data security. No one is checking for biases. Parliament doesn't check, so why should AI? Reiterated that all humans are bad, just uh, really winning over the people making the decision about who wins tonight's debate. Again, attacked the debaters who hadn't spoken yet, which has been a theme for this entire evening. Best defense is a good offense, I think. There's a strategy there. Tim cracked out numerical smut material. Uh, if you learned nothing else from this evening, now you know how to have a bit of fun with a calculator. Hit you with some dictionary definitions reminding me of year eight debating. Uh, did some more anticipatory attacking. Mentioned the benefits and costs of a vibrator covered in sandpaper but never mentioned what the benefits were. Which I am still thinking about. Evan accused the negative of secretly wanting to end humanity, but I'm not sure it was that secret. Started listing all the sci-fi films he has ever seen. Which remind me of my arts tutorial days when one of the students clearly hadn't read the text and just shared what they'd seen the night before. Uh, he spoiled all 19 sci-fi films, and I apologise on behalf of the Institution of Sci-Fi Science Comedy Debate if you hadn't seen any of them. He has some feelings about some of them that he chose to work through this evening. Lauren is making up for lost primary school glory, uh, did her own research at Centrelink, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and gave us the blood on the clock tower theory, which 
we, I think we all got to see a live action construction of how a conspiracy theory works. And I'm so glad that you were on this journey with me. Now, if you thought the affirmative, arguing that we should and do fear AI, please make some noise. Solid start. Now, if you thought the negative of the opposition of tonight's debate that we should not fear AI, make some noise. In a truly scientific measure, I award the debate to the negative. Do not fear AI. Do not fear your dreams and hopes. And do not fear coming back to Sci-Fi again. You've been an absolute delight. Thank you so much for coming tonight. Can I have a round of applause for the Newcastle Comedy Club? And a round of applause for all our debaters tonight. If you keep buying all the tickets, I will bring this event back to Newcastle. Thank you so much to all of you for coming. Have a wonderful evening. Good night. That's life. That's life. That's what all the people say. You're right.